Okay, ladies, nice to be back. We're back on track. Breishit, we finished Breishit. Didn't get a share on that one. But we'll start with Noach. And uh, please, God. Got a lot, a lot of work to do. Okay, so, so Noach is a um, complicated character. Okay? But I want to try, I want to go back to Noach. Because the parasha starts with Noach. But Noach actually begins in last week's parasha. Doesn't start this, this week. So if we go back a little bit um, to, to Perik Hay. So that's chapter 5. Um, it's actually in, in the article on page 27. Uh, verse 28. It says, Yalemech. It says, Yavachi Lemech, Shtayim Shmonim Shanah. That Lemech lived for um, 182 years by Yolid Ben, and he had a son. That's uh, quite old, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. And he called this child Noah. Okay? Now all the other children that they've got been given names, there haven't been a reason given for the name. So he calls him Noah. Why? Because he said, That this one, the way they translate, will bring us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, from the ground which Hashem has cursed. Okay? And then it says that he, after he lived for another few hundred years, and he had other children, and that was it. Okay. So now the question has to be asked. So what does it mean that Noach is the one who is going to save them from the difficulty of, uh, of all these things? So Rashi tells us there that um, the... Sorry. Uh, that that until Noah came along, they didn't have a plow. There was no plow. Right? Remember, Adam is given this curse. The curse is that that he's going to, uh, with, uh, with the sweat of his brow, he's going to eat bread, which means it's going to be hard work. Okay? So what does he do? The sweat of his brow, he's going to do all this hard work. What do you have to do in order to plant? You've got to dig up the, the soil. How does he dig up the soil? We don't know. But we're given that, we're given an indication of, what he, of, of how they did it, is that they just did it somehow with their hands. And it's only when Noach is born that um, he bring, he's going to bring um, like a, a certain level of comfort. Why? Because he is going to, either through him or around at his time, he's going to create the plow. Right? And so um, uh, in the time of Noach, in the, the, before Noach, it was terrible. They had all difficulty in bringing forth their fruits. But when Noach came along, is that um, he gave them a plow. And now it was easy for them to do. Okay? So his father called him Noach because of that. What's the problem with that, ladies? Noach is born a little baby. We've all had, right? Okay? No little baby invents a cow. A plow. Okay, until at least, if they're Jewish, until they're about one, anyone else about 25, 30, right? Okay, so no baby, um, what's it called, the plow, invents the plow. So how does the father say, we'll call him Noach because he's going to save the world. He's going to bring rest to the world. Okay, so that's the big question. So I heard from Rabbi Shalom Rosner, he quoted a Midrash, I've been trying to find this Midrash, I can't find it. But the Midrash says that when he was born, the thing about Noach, that they knew that he was going to be special and do something special for the world, was he was born with 
fingers. And prior to that, it seems to be that no one was born with fingers. We don't know what they had. Maybe they had stubs or I don't know, but they didn't have fingers like we have fingers. And Noach is the first one, says the Midrash, that was born with fingers. Because if you don't say that, then how do you know that your child's going to do something extraordinary? Right? So what's the cup with fingers? We, are, you know, we, we have them, thank God. So we don't always realize what it means. But if you don't have fingers and you're trying to dig up the ground, how are you going to do that? It's going to take a long time. Everything becomes time. There is just so much time, so much time. But what happens is what really what Nach is, Nach is the inventor of technology. For the first time, there's going to be a real technology that is going to enable them to make a difference in the way the world is going to be run. Before that, and, so, and therefore, what Noach also is, is the forerunner of all agriculture, in the way we understand it. Not just picking things off the trees, but agriculture in terms of being able to do things on a mass level. So therefore, I can plant wheat for all of you, which I've never been able to do before. And I wasn't interested in doing it before because it would take me too long to do it for you. Right? Now, all of a sudden, I can do it because I've got hands. I've got fingers, I can dig the soil in a different way, and therefore I can design tools as well. I couldn't do that before. How can I screw things in or do whatever I needed to do? That's the way the Midrash wants to explain it. Okay? But now what we're going to really understand, and we're going to, I don't even know if we're going to get into Noach, into the, the whole thing of Noach, but we've got to, have to try and understand one thing, and that is what does the technology do? Why is it that Noach is this person called Noach? Because as the... Um, the translation has said that um, this one will provide us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. What does that mean? So, what's the relief? So they have to work, not have to work so hard. People still work hard. Even with technology, you work hard. But what does technology give us? Technology gives us time. Okay? That's really what it gives us. If we think back, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how many of you made tea this morning. I suppose most of you. You know, like, you know, 150 years ago, you were, would have gone down to the well, you know, pumped out the water, okay, put it in, taken it, made the fire, and right, and eventually you would have had a cup of tea. We nearly did. We nearly did, yeah, exactly. So Baruch Hashem, we can understand that here, right? Okay. Right? Yeah, exactly. Both, both, both the well and the fire, right? Okay. That's nice right, Jeff. Okay. So, so... Okay, welcome back. Okay. So, so, so what, and all it means is that we don't do that, which means that we just turn on a tap and we just switch on the, let's call it the gas, just so that it's, uh, you know, make it you know, uh, load, load shedding friendly. Right? We, all we do, it, it takes one second. So all the things that used to take an enormous amount of time now take one second, which means that we have so much more time on our hands. Okay? So if that's the case, it should mean... The question is, what are we doing with our time? Exactly. So what are we doing with our time? What do we do with our time? So that's, that's, that's just a question. Okay? That um, the... So Noach is this great inventor. Okay? He invents the plow. Everything's phenomenal. And it's wonderful. And all of a sudden, things are happening. Okay? Now people have their free time. What, happened, what are you supposed to do with your free time? Okay, so great. So that would be very from. We're going to learn Torah. Okay? Before they had the Torah, knowing Noah existed, what were they going to do with their free time? 
Well, what should they have done with their free time? Um, I'm throwing it out. Their jo- what was the job of the human, of the human being? Was the Shamra, to, to, to work the land, to guard the land, but mainly just to extend. Right? And when you're busy, you're busy. And when you're busy, you don't have time for other things. Right? However, the, uh, the way the Torah presents it, if you look now in the, at the end of, um, sorry, the beginning of Pasha Noach, it says, um, so Noach is ish tzadik tamim, right? Whatever that means, we'll try and understand that. Okay, um, he walks with God, which we have to try and understand as well. He has these three children, so he's busy procreating. He's involved in what he's supposed to be doing, but around him, the whole world is just getting messed up. Why is the world degenerating into nothing? Why not? Okay, so that's our, our narrative that we've always been taught, right? The reason why the world is going mad because Noach is not doing his job. But that's not correct. Because it doesn't blame Noach for it. It just says Noach is doing what he's doing. He's walking with God and the world around him is falling apart. Why is Okay, so that's again, it's the same narrative. But why should it? There's an assumption that his work should have something to do with it, it should impact on the rest of the world. It bothers me, right? So why, why, why is that an assumption? Because what really is, there's an epidemic of absolute wickedness in the world. That's really what's going on. Wickedness. And it's filled with Hamas. What is Hamas? So Hamas, we understand, is this thing of, it's a violent crime. So what's going on? Why is there violent crime? Yes, but let's go backwards. Where's the crime coming from? Why is there violent crime? Why is the world going in the way that the world is going? See, this is why Noah has a responsibility. And this is what we keep missing. Everyone's, everyone's very upset with Noah, right? Noah should have like, you know, been, uh, you know, should be like the Kiruv rabbi. You know, should have gone into the clubs and get, you know, and, and, and done all those things. But why should he do that? Why, why, why is it on Noah? So the answer is because who Noah is. And who is Noah? Who is Noah? Don't tell me he's the Ishtzadik. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. You know who Noah is? Noah is the guy who invented the plow. And why is that so important? Because Noah, as the guy who invented the plow, gave the world back time. And he should have seen. He should have. He should have said, hold on a second. Once I do this, people are going to have more time. When people now have more time, what is going to happen? And what is my parallel responsibility with them? I am I'm with God. All the time, right? Oh, Hashem is um, phenomenal, right? But if that's the case, and I see people around me who have now got free time, there's my obligation. It's not about just that is Noach. 
But all of a sudden, he created the ability for people to connect in the profound way that he does. How come he's got so much time to walk with God? Because he also he created the plow. He's got these three sons. They're busy plowing, doing whatever he has to do. He's got time. So what does he use his time for? Himself. He doesn't go out. This is the problem, it seems to be, with what Noach is. Ish tzaddik tamim He's such a pure, wonderful human being, but he doesn't impact because he doesn't realize that the impact of the thing that he creates is so important. Okay. So there's, a, there's an interesting mission in Ksubis. The, the, uh, the mission in Ksubis says that, uh, you'll like this one, guys. Um, if the husband is wealthy and he is able to afford domestic help, then he must. Okay? You can quote it. Okay? But we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, because we get it. Anyway. If you can't afford it, you get it, right? Okay? I, I know, that's, that's interesting. So the Mishnah says, however, even if she's got a hundred servants, says the Mishnah. Okay? What? She still has to do certain things in herself. And the Mishnah Gomorrah discuss what they have to do. Why is that? Right? And so that she's busy. The worst thing that can happen in the world is a person is idle. Because when a person becomes idle, then you... Everything goes crazy, right? Because we have to work hard. We have to work. We've got to be involved. We've got to be doing things all the time. Okay. So what happens when a person's not busy? What do they see? They see this person who has their plow, their new plow, you know, version 37 of the plow. Okay. He's busy doing amazing work. And I call Baruch the way the world works blesses some people more than does others. And no matter how hard you work, that's just about the nature of the animal, right? We all know people who work terribly hard and they don't really achieve greatness, and other people who do very little, and they just like very wealthy. That's just the way Hashem works. Okay, that's your claim. Have that conversation with him at one point in time. Okay, but that being the case, so Chaim is looking at Shmuel, and Shmuel is being, has, has this field that is just growing unbelievably, and Chaim has got, he got even the newer version, 38 of the plow, and he's plowing, he's doing everything, but he's just not being as successful. Okay, but now, what is he doing? He's no longer digging up because he's plowed. And he's watching the corn grow on that side, but his isn't growing so well. So what happens? He gets jealous. And because he gets jealous, then he decides eventually, well, you know, I'll just take his, take his wheat or corn, whatever it is. And how am I going to take it? Well, I can't take it. I'm going to have to kill him. That's Hamas. It's, an, it's, a, it's a natural um, outcome of idleness. And uh, when, I, when I saw this, I just thought to myself, well, look at, look at the world. How come we're such a mess? Everything's a mess. Because we've got ovens. I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's great. That's great. But we don't have to, there's, there's so many things. That I was, you, know, you, have to, you, want to make, you need to make a payment. You don't even have to write a check. Right? A check in itself or something. You need to make a payment. You don't have to go to the bank. You don't have to do anything anymore. You just go straight directly onto your app and everything gets done. You know, um, so, you remember in the old days when we used to go to Israel, you'd have Asimonim, right? And those little, like, little tokens, you put them in the phones and you hope to God that you had enough and you only know, drop them in a thousand, thousand, like, you know, which meant you had to go and get them, which meant there was a whole industry around Asimonim. Right? There's no, those industries, all those things are dying slowly but surely. A Rav Kav card, you know, I'm just using Israel as an example because of their technology. A Rav Kav card. In the old days, a year ago, you had to go and you had to get a card. 
Now you don't have to do anything because it's all on your phone. Everything's on your phone, which is amazing. What do we do with the time? Right? So that's the question. So that's the question. Um, the, um, the Nativ says the following. He says, um, says we, 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 we need to be aware um, but we need to be aware of what's going on he says but we don't have to be worried so much about the um, about like what happens in one year you know he says rather what you've got to be concerned about is the incremental amount of time that is just goes to nowhere over years and years and years and years and years and that's what happens and people, that's what happens when people retire. What happens when people retire? Then they, unless they've got other interests, they're just like, I mean, how much golf can you play? I had a friend of mine, um, Ivan Whedon. He's an older man at the shul in Cape Town. And, he, and I once went to go meet with him. And he told me I was come to his office. He had a, fact, a massive business. Um, so I went to the office. And... Um, and, I, uh, and we were sitting there, I said to him, um, thanks, for take, t- thanks for making time for me. He says, that's okay, I've got lots of time. Look what I'm doing. So he told her, spends his whole day playing solitaire. Okay? And then answering questions of people in the office, right? Uh, he's passed away. as a So I said to him, but then why do you come in here? He goes like 6.30 in the morning. He says, because if I didn't, if I didn't have something to do, I'd just go nuts within two days. Because that's what happens, Right? We have to have something to do. Okay. So therefore, um, the, so the Natsif says, that's why, we've got, that's why you've got to learn. Now listen to what he says. He says, because learning is a milchama shal Torah. It's a war of Torah. You're fighting with another person. He says, well, you've got a choice. You need to fight. You can fight and make Hamas, or you can fight in the learning of Torah. That's where your time's got to be used. We're naturally born into conflict with each other, okay? And when our time is, is free, we go into conflict. But if we've got something to really have a meaningful conflict over, so then we'll conflict. So I wanted to share that with you because I thought that was an amazing and important thing to do. Okay. So now, let's carry on Vita in the, um, in, in the, in the parasha a little bit. Okay. Um, so there's this whole idea of um, that Noach was an ish tzaddik tamim that he was this this tzaddik in his generation. And we know that Rashi says, well, if he had lived in another generation of Abraham, right, he would have been a nothing. Right? Why? How do you know? How do you know? How, do you, how can you, be, how can you not make such a supposition that if he had been in the generation of Abraham, would he not? So we'll say the reason is because when Great, okay? So, and remember, I'm not questioning what you're saying because you're right, because this is the narrative that we've always spoken about. But look at Yitzchak. Was Yitzchak a tzaddik? Ask, ask, right? How many people did Yitzchak impact in his life? How many conversations do we know from the Torah that Yitzchak had? One, really, besides his family. So, yeah? yeah? So being a tzaddik doesn't mean that you're always impacting other people's lives. So what's the thing that makes made Noach different from Avraham? So it goes back to what we said. The difference is that Noach didn't stand up to the test. That's the issue. What makes Avraham Avraham is the fact that he stands up to ten tests. Amazing tests. 
right? And they, some of them are smaller and some of them are bigger. But Avram, uh, he stands up to everyone. Noach doesn't stand up to the test at all. And the ultimate test that he doesn't stand up to is at the end of the Noach story, is where he gets out of the table. And what's he going to do? So what's his choice? What does the Torah tell us? Let's just go there quickly so we can see this. It's quite amazing. Um, if you go to chapter... Okay, page 39. Page 39, so it's chapter 8, verse 15. God spoke to Noah saying, Go forth from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, every living being that is with you, all of flesh, etc., etc., etc. So Noah went forth, and his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every living being, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that creeps on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Unbelievable. Imagine that. Right? The whole world is about to be renewed. What does Noach do? So the Torah says, Then Noach built an altar to Hashem. This is verse number 20. Why do you think he brought up a korban oil? Well, is it a thanksgiving? That's the question. Because a thanksgiving offering that we bring, that we are told to bring, is a korban that we, that we bring and then we eat it. Whereas the oil goes all the way up to Hashem. So it's not so much as a thanksgiving as a recognition offering. Okay? Hashem gets this and he says, okay, I'm not going to do anything to the world again. And it creates the seasons and it's all wonderful. Okay? Now, chapter 9. Kodesh Baruch Hu tells, uh, blesses Noach. And he gives an unbelievable bracha that everything should be phenomenal. And then, I said, and then if you go right to the bottom, um, let me just get to the page. And then he gives the whole story with the rain. And all of this is happening quickly. The Torah doesn't say this happens over a long period of time. It happens quickly. It's all one that first day that they're out. And then it says, um, go to uh, page 42. It says, His sons who came out, is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noach, and from them everyone comes. Now, Noach, the Ish Ha'adama. Why do you call him the Ish Ha'adama? The man of the ground. Say again. He's the man. He's the man of the ground. Ishadama. That was his like Bala. You know? Noach, Ishadama, plow inventor. You know, they didn't have the he, she, it's not that kind of pronouns at that point. So he had to have something on his card. Right? Ishadama. He is the man of Adama. He's the man who made the world a different place. He's the man who, who brought to the world the way that they can work and make it easier and they can live their lives and they can connect to God in a most profound way. What does he do? The first thing he does is he plants a vineyard. Now, is that in and of itself bad? No, no. Why not? 
What should he have done? Why do you advise the first thing that you plant is wine, not wheat? Okay, so you know how long it takes for it before you get your... I've been waiting for years and years and years. Oh, there's a grape! You know, then you're going to get the grape and you're going to go, you know. So what is it? What is it doing? Why is Vayita current? Okay, so he's creating time for himself, perhaps, good. Where's the Kerem? Why is the Kerem so important? So we know that there's a machlokas amongst the, 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 the commentaries. What was the eighth hadas? What was it? Well, some say it was wheat. Some say it was an estrog. No one says it was an apple. Okay. No one says, except uh, Christians. Okay. But no, no offense or anything. Okay, wheat, um, grape, estrog, or fig. Okay? It's one of those. We don't know, we're not sure which one it is, and there are all reasons for it all. Okay? But let's look at it, uh, the, the Natsiv in his, in his uh, parish on the whole story of what happened, he, he, he brings that fascinating insight. He says, Why would, how could Adam have succumbed to eating the grape? He says, in this case, if that, let's see. I mean, how could she have convinced him to do it? Like what? Oh, there you go. Okay, so women are convincing. But how did she get him to do it? So he says, because what she did, she squeezed the grape. So the first wine that ever exists, or grape juice, kidding, right? The first wine that ever exists is from Chava squeezing the grape. And Adam says, okay, well, this is a derivative. You know, we can justify anything. This is not really the grape itself, but it's a derivative of the grape. So it's just the juice of the grape. And we know that normally, right, what brocha do you make on, on orange? Rapier 8. What brocha do you make on orange juice? Sheakol. Why do you make the sheakol on it? Because you've taken away the orange and you made it into orange juice. Now we do that with everything, right? Except for one thing. And what is that? When you have a grape, you say Berei Priya 8. When you have grape juice, you say Berei Priya Gafen. But the grape juice is not the Priya Gafen. The, gra- the juice is the, the Priya of the grape. Right? No. So the whole chap is that the essence of the grape is the juice inside, not the grape itself. The grape is just the thing that holds it. Okay? Therefore, he made that was his mistake. He didn't realize that. So now grape becomes this, this thing that, of, that we're not, it could be said. That Noach is trying to recreate Gan Eden. He plants the grape. He plants this thing that, at least according to the way I'm understanding it, that, the, that, that is now going to be the beginning of all the other things that he has to do in the world. It's the image of what human being can be, should be, must be. Okay? The problem is, what does he do? After many years, we've got no clue what happened from the second he planted that vine, until this. Nobody knows. Remember, the, story, the, the, the Torah is not a history book. It's a story book. And very different. Right? So the Torah says, he plants this thing, and then, Vayesh min hayayin vayashkan. That he drank from the wine, and he became drunk. What just happened there? 
What happens when you become drunk? You lose what? Where do we know that from? What's the ultimate expression of drunkenness in Judaism? In Torah, in Halacha. Because there's only one time you've got an obligation to get drunk. And that's Purim. And what's the Halacha in Purim? Chayv anishlif sumei ad delo yada. Until you don't, yada, which means to know. Eight hadat, tov vara. Until you don't know, right? What between good and bad? So what Noach did, it's not just the planting of the vine, of the vine and getting drunk, but what he's done is he's taken that very thing that he was going to use as the example of what the world must be, and he abused it completely. Because you can also have one cup of wine, you know? Why don't you drink water? Well, what did he do until then? Coffee, sure. Cappuccinos, right? Shame, uh, you know, Noach sons, and you know, Noach and sons, cappuccinos stand. Right? Like, what, what did he do? Right? But all of a sudden he drinks this wine. Vayishkar and he becomes drunk. Vayidgal batoch ohalo. And what is it? Vayidgal, he rolled into his tent. The ultimate downfall of man. Again. Noach is the man who's supposed to be the one who's going to be the new Adam Arishot, so to speak. Okay, so he wasn't so good in his personal relations with everybody else. But gee whiz, he has an opportunity to be this man who's going to be something and he doesn't why not and what what makes Noach this person what makes him not like, fall from grace in such a way well Hashem speaking to him and tells him you're the person okay so but before he drank wine in other words there's something going on from the time that he plants this, this vineyard Okay, so the time he drinks the wine. And we've got no clue what happened. Why have we got no clue what happened? Because nothing happened. Nothing happened. You know what happens when nothing happens? He went into himself. And he became, I mean, that's, why do you drink wine? So we said it, because The reason why he drank wine is because he was trying to get himself back to a state of simcha. It was the, the what's it called? The pro, pro like the antidepressant mm-hmm. of the time, right? And there's nothing wrong. Some people are depressed, some people are down, that's fine, okay? But he has this person whose job is not to be that. He's just been saved by God. He's going to start the world again. And for the years that it takes for him to grow his, his uh, vineyard until he drinks the wine, he does absolutely nothing constructive because it should have said, right? It should have said, if he had done something, he built this, and he built that, and he built that, and he built cities, and his children. And how do we know that he did nothing constructive? Because the story after this is what? What's the story after this? Think carefully. Yes. And what's the Tower of Babel about? So on a simple level, the way we've always been taught against all these narratives that we have as children, aren't they? they're trying to reach Hashem. You can't reach God. What are they really trying to do? So the Nativ points out, it's an amazing, it's an amazing insight, because I never understood the reach, reaching God part. Right? The Nativ points out that what they were doing is they were building a tower, right? as high as they possibly could, in order that they could see it from wherever they were. Now, but you hear this. What does this mean? 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts man on the world and he says to him, go and populate the world. Okay? If God tells you to go populate the world, it means you've got to like sometimes pick up your bag and move out of the place where you are. Because if you just populate the world, this whole story, the whole of the Torah is focused on the Middle East. Where did the Chinese ever come from? How did the guys in South America happen? Right? Quite an amazing concept to think about. Right? And all these languages. How do all those things happen? Why? Because initially you've got these three sons who are busy having children. They are populating the world. But they're not spreading out. To the extent that they decide that their safety is in being able to stay in a place where they can all connect into one central spot. They forget that the central spot, this is the issue, is God, not the place. So they create this massive monument and they build their cities around this monument. Okay? And as long as they can see it, they're part of it. There's Aloha in Purim. It's interesting, Purim keeps coming up. Aloha in Purim is that if you can see the city of Yerushalayim, then you can read it on the 15th, not the 14th. Because then you're not part of Yerushalayim. Okay? It's a very difficult halakha to really understand because what really is this, what's, what's really considered to be Yerushalayim, but that's not important for the. For, but that's the whole thing. You're part of something else. But that's not what Hashem wanted, says the Nasib. Hashem wanted the world to be spread out. And whose job was it to tell them that? That's Noah's job. Noah's job was to teach his children. Oh, you want to plant a vineyard? Do you want to be like an Aiden? Well, you've got to do everything else like an Aiden. So it's just a simple, uh, you know, it's not a one-off one fix. Everything has to go. You've got to populate the world. You did a good job. But in addition to that, you've got to spread out. You've got to build the world. You've got to go to South America. You've got to go across continents. You've got to go everywhere. The, when, when Adam Ocean is created, it's created the way the, the, the Midrash presents it from different parts of the world. Why? He says because the difference between man and animal is that animals are specific to a place. There are very few animals that can, hab- can habitat, can rehabitat easily, right? But man can go from the coldest of the cold to the hottest of the hot, and they are there. We are there. We're everywhere, right? Because that's the nature of Adam Arishon. But that's our job, is to go into all those places. So we didn't do that, and so therefore Noah fails in those years that he's growing the Kerem to teach his children, to get them to go. It should have said how they all spread out. It doesn't say that. They all stayed in one place. That's why it says, the, Torah, the way the Torah just, uh, describes it, it says that they were They were one language and one lot of things. Now, how do you stay as one? It's massive. There are thousands of people. You know how you stay as one language? Because you're all the same, same place. The minute you go to a new place, your culture starts changing because you have to adapt into that place. Right? Um, that's why we're so friendly and the English aren't. It's a different world. You know? Um, and so if that's the case, so Noach has failed. And if Noach understands after these years of waiting for this carrion to grow, seems to be he realized that he's failed. He also remembers the destruction. He remembers the world that was. He hasn't been able to build that world. But things take time. So what does he do? He drinks to drown his sorrows. But he doesn't only drown his sorrows, he drowns himself. He drowns his very essence. And so he becomes, he's rolling around in his tent. And therefore it's no wonder that Cham takes advantage of that. What was Ham doing? I know we're like traveling through the parish. I hope you don't mind. What was Ham doing? So we don't really know what Ham did. Okay? So according to some, 
had some type of like a, um, homosexual relationship with his father at that point. But according to others, he castrated him. So the, the second one is an easier one to understand. Okay, he uncovered his nakedness. Why is it easy to understand? Because we see that Noah never has any more children. Right? So why is that? So the, um, the, the Nativ explains the reason for that is because there's shame, there's cham and yafet. They all fill a space. You know, in, you know in your families, we've got, we've got children. And all those children fill a space in the home. Right? And, uh, and then if you have another one, then that one's got to like find their space and the others move over and everything. It's a whole like thing. Cham didn't want anything more to happen in his world. He was very happy. Shame, the way the, the Midrash describes is shame was very much like shame. Hashem was very connected to God. Yafet is very connected to like beauty, physical beauty. And Cham is emotional, heat, the heat, the passion of, of, of it all. So he was happy where he was. He didn't, want, he didn't want to have to change position. He didn't want there to be another person to come and challenge his position in the family. And so therefore he ends the family. Ends any additional part of the family. That is why he gets cursed. Why? Not because of what he did to his father. Because, okay. But because of what he did to the world. He ended the world being bigger, broader, something else. And therefore he becomes the slave. He becomes the one who is no longer able to expand. Who doesn't have his own. The slave is not allowed to own anything. A slave can't do what they want to do. And that's why Ham, which is Canaan, becomes this slave aspect of the world. Okay, we got it? So we're traveling through the parasha in a very powerful way. Okay. Something that I, that I, that I just wanted to look at into. What happened on the table? On the ark? And then we're going to stop. So what did Noach spend his time doing? He, was, he wasn't busy afterwards, right? But what was he busy at the time with? Feeding the animals, right? It's amazing the narratives we have, right? Okay. So how many animals were on the to- on the on the table? So we don't know. Okay. Let's say there were a hundred different ones. Let's say, just as an example, let's say there were fifty different ones. So you've got giraffes, you've got lions. Well, let's say we've got antelope, you've got cats, you've got um, elephant type things. You know, that's the elephant and the dasi, those two. Um, and you know, we've got all different genus happening. So let's say there were 50. Each one of them demand different food, right? What's Noach doing? He's giving all of them different food. Okay? Nobody in the world could do such a thing. Even with the help of his children. For every animal, every day, you've got to feed them. All the time. That's bizarre. So I saw this beautiful idea that I want to share with you and we'll stop. If you go into... Um, Verse number six, chap, uh, sorry, chapter six, verse twenty-one. So we're going back a bit. The reason why I'm showing you this is I want you, I want you to see the nuance of Torah is so incredibly great. Look at this, it's twenty-one. It says the Torah says the following. Ve'ata. Now Hashem is speaking to Noah, and He's telling him what to do when He gets onto the table. Have you got it, God? Okay, it's on page 32, sorry. Ve'ata. Now, kach lecha mikol ma'achal asher yayachel. Take all the, um, the food. Kol ma'achal asher yayachel. All the food that will be eaten. Ve'asafta elecha. And bring it into yourself. Ve'ayas. Ve'ayas lecha 
and it will be to you and them for food. So the the, the Torah asks the obvious question. Hashem says, take the food. Why? So it will be for you for food. Or what else is going to be for? The Torah doesn't waste a, a, a letter. It could have just said, take the food for you and the animals. Why does it say, bring it in and it will be for you and for them to eat? Okay, you, you understand that? So there's a powerful, a powerful extra four or five words in that passage. And he says the following. Ella, my shunach, the shach. The shach is one of the great um, halachic commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. Now why is that so important? Is that it's not some like weirdo, Kabbalistic, strange thing. Right? We're talking about halachic, rational human being. He says the following. Um... If the truth had been that Noah had to prepare food for everyone, um, for a whole year, even if he had a hundred buckets of food, it wouldn't have been enough for everybody. How could he possibly do that all in one thing? But we all know that he prepared all the food for all the animals because he got hit by the lion, right? We all know that. Interesting. Right? All these midrashim, like we, we've made them into our truth. But we have to look at the psukim. He says, Kihalo, Hayusham, all different types of animals. And therefore, Ella, Hashem Asa Imo Neskador. Hashem did an incredible miracle. Vetzivahu Lachin Mazon, Rak Bavur Atzmo Bilvad. Listen to this. Hashem said, You make food, as it says in the Pasuk. Pasuk says, Vahaya Lacha, it will be for you and for them to eat. You make the food for yourself, he says. And at that point in time, in that small amount that Noach is going to have, there will be brocha. There'll be enough for him, for all the animals. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Okay? Ah, so then they ask the obvious question. What's the obvious question? If Hashem is going to do a miracle, so what's the obvious question? So why does he have to bring anything? Why can't Hashem just feed them? Why can't Hashem like, you know, I don't know, you know, spiritual feeding tubes? I don't know. Say again? You have to have something. You've got to have something that the nace is going to fit itself onto. And you know what? This is nothing new to us. Why? Thank you. Hanukkah. The Hanukkah miracle is nothing new to us, actually, because the first time it happened was in the Tabor, where Akkadish Baruch Hu took a little bit of food, says the Shach, and he gave all the animals. What? One bucket lasted for 80 animals. I don't know how many animals, right? As opposed to, right, as opposed to him after the Zeshama, and that's why it says Kachlacha, Raklacha Levat. You take what you need to do, and our Kodesh Baruch says, "I will sort out the rest of the animals." So, in these stories that we're reading, there is so much behind it, not only in the, about the story, but about how are we supposed to see our Chagim, how we're supposed to like, look back. The whole purpose of the of the Chanukah story, perhaps you could say, 
Okay? Right, this incredible miracle that happened with the lights. Now we can say, hold on a second, there's a shach. There's a shach that says this wasn't a new miracle. There's a miracle that was part and parcel of the creation of the world in which we live in, which is the world post-Noach. This never happened before. This is a new miracle. And it sets the tone for what the world will, be, or what the world will have. Where else do we see that? We see that in the clouds of, in, in the Ananiah cover. That the people had their clothes. And what happened? Their clothes always stayed the same. That's not a new miracle. That's part of the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. As long as you've got something, then you can do it. The, 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 we know that there's a Gomorrah that, um, that tells about, um, I think it's Pinchas bin Yair's daughter. So she, she, she lit the vinegar instead of the oil. Right? And she comes and freaking out to her father, you know, the Shabbos candles and the vinegar instead of oil. So Hashem said, the one who makes the, vine- with the oil burn will make the vinegar burn. And don't try it at home because it probably won't going to work because we're not him. And the oil burnt. Right? But there's Elisha. You remember the story about Elisha. Elisha the Navi. Elisha the prophet. And, he, and um, there's this very poor woman and she's, she's going to be sold into slavery. And she comes to him to ask for and says, well, go and get, go get all the pots that you could possibly find. Okay? And take the little oil that that's all you've got left and pour them into the pots. And they pour and they pour and they pour and they fill all the pots that you can make with all this oil that she's then able to sell and get. Why? Because it all starts with a little miracle of something. It's not about the oil. Right? It's just about having something. And that's what the Shach wants to say. And so we see that this, the story of Noah has the foundations of everything that exists in the world in which we live today. Have a beautiful day, everybody.